Good evening, everybody. Welcome into the Villanova Basketball Report. It is live here on Bob Long Sports. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, on iTunes, SoundCloud, you name it. On the video side, you can find us on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. Just search Bob Long Sports, and we appreciate everybody being with us here today. Well, Villanova has indeed hit the pause button for the second time. They were back to action with just about 24 hours back in the affirmative. And uh, after practice, two guys, two players came down with COVID, tested positive, and are having symptoms. Jay Wright addressed the media today, January the 4th, and a lot more to come. Uh, Potentially more positive tests, more to come on how long the program will be out of commission. What we know now, three games have been postponed no timetable for their makeup, if at all. And uh, a season that was nine games, a bunch of games in Bubbleville, and really what was going great for this program has now been, for the time being, and temporarily derailed. And to talk about that, we're now going to bring in the other members of our team, Kevin Long, K-Mac, Tom Trainer, alongside. Guys, welcome to the show. A little bit of a different podcast than we expected coming in here today. We were expecting to talk about game one for this team against DePaul. We were talking about the second matchup against Marquette. Instead, we're talking about a program on pause. and We'll get your instant reaction. Yeah, so uh, obviously not where we wanted to be sitting here. Uh, I think they were hitting their stride really towards the end of uh, December there and when they were playing and uh, was really excited to get them into big East action and, and obviously really disappointing. Um, you know, still unclear at this point, how this all came about, if it started with Jay, if it started with another staff member, but obviously at this point, the only concern is uh, everyone's health and well-being, and want to make sure that, that everyone is uh, healthy when they hit the floor again, hopefully within the next couple of weeks here, but um, whatever needs to be done at this point, you know, not sure if they cut it short, uh, in terms of someone still being contagious when they when they hit the practice floor again, but hopefully we can uh, quarantine for a few weeks and get back to action soon. And Kevin, you highlight a little bit, but Jay Wright and a staffer starting on December the 26th, that's when we first heard the news. Uh, they were not symptomatic at the time. That information was not disclosed until just today, actually, where Jay Wright said that he was symptomatic. It was like the worst case of the flu that he's ever had. That was his words. Uh, and then up until January the, the second or the third, there were no positive tests. They did not let the players go home for Christmas. They stayed on campus. There was an ability for family members to come on to campus at the Davis center and visit over the span of that Christmas holiday, but it was all done with masks and social distancing And again, with those six or so seven days without any positive tests, maybe even more at that point, all of a sudden they go back to practice, cleared to go, practiced on Sunday, and then now today, Monday, they are uh, putting putting the skids on it. They are pausing, of course, because of the two players testing positive. So uh, that's the situation. It doesn't appear like it was a situation of somebody being off campus or anything like that. Uh, They were quarantined in individual hotel rooms from the 26th through the 2nd. Again, save for that meetup with families, but it doesn't appear that that was part of the spread. A little too early probably to surmise. However, K-Mac, your thoughts on when you see all and hear all of those details? 
not good um, when you hear all that and you, you know they practiced. Um, it, it, I think it's going to be a while until we see uh, the Cats at the floor again, which is a shame. Like Kevin said, they, they were hitting their stride, playing well. Um, I mean, hopefully they can get back, back on the court, play some games uh, before tournament time. Yeah, Tom, uh, the, the, the interesting thing is what Kevin McLernan said, um, that they practiced. And now they are, are bringing it uh, you know, back to pause, of course. Jay Wright readily acknowledges that they anticipate that they could see more positive tests in the next few days. Yeah, first and foremost, uh, you know, Kevin Long hit the nail on the head that you know, we have to first and foremost think about the kids and their families um, who they had recently seen over the holiday. Um, you don't know how that impacts their loved ones um, and everybody's health right now is the first thing that comes to mind. Um, and then the second thing, alluding to what K-Mac just said, is, you know, Nova Nation is going to have to be patient. Um, who knows how long this may take? It could be two weeks. Um, it could be much longer than that. There are just so many unanswered questions right now. You just feel for the kids, the student athletes. Um, I mean, if you remember, they changed their decision to send the kids home, change their minds to instead bring families to the Villanova area um, in what they deemed to be a safer environment. Um, and they did that because of the new literature and the new findings on different um, lingering side effects of COVID, whether it's heart-related, lung-related issues for young athletes. Um, and there was a concern, as Jay Ray and his staff um, mentioned, of, you know, if somebody gets, you know, test positive, well, they might not be ready to go as soon as their quarantine's done. That could linger depending on what side effects there may be that we just can't really anticipate. Um, and as was the whole reason that they changed their minds to tweak um, their holiday break plans to begin with. Um, so keeping that in mind and what the coaching staff is thinking about how COVID might impact or the length of time that COVID could impact the, the program just with all those unknowns uh, is pretty unsettling. And Nova Nation is going to have to be patient, um, again, not just because, you know, we have to wait so many days until there are, um, you know, no positive tests, but also because we don't know how, you know, how this could negatively affect the players' bodies. Um, even at a young and healthy uh, condition that they're in. Yeah, and not to speculate, of course, but that change in the decision, of course, with the players in mind, Tom, first and foremost, but also for those family members, some of which I'm sure are elderly and varied states of health, of course, probably a good decision. Now that you're seeing after six, seven days of no positive tests, all of a sudden, these folks that were quarantined are testing positive. Does that, did that occur on the Marquette trip, for example? Did that occur in the last practice prior to Jay Wright testing positive and sending those kids home while also putting them in a precarious spot would also do that to, to their parents. So that is of concern and I think a good thing, certainly. So with that said, they hit the pause button, and we don't really know what, what happens next, but no Villanova basketball for quite some time. Jay Wright reiterated today in his meeting with the press that it was based upon his issue. Right? He slash the other staffer brought this into the program. He reiterated that the players did nothing wrong. 
And they did talk about it, talked about the season and unanimously was a decision to continue on with the season frayed as it may be at this point. So for now, not too much to talk about in terms of on-floor basketball. We are going to have a visa nose segment where we go to the whiteboard and break down one aspect of the Villanova offense, but we're going to have to hold on to those nuggets for at least a couple of weeks before we see them back on the floor. The other big piece of news in this is our opening tip here tonight. The NCAA has announced that the NCAA tournament will be taking place wholly in the state of Indiana across about six venues and in a bubble style format selection Sunday, mid-March tournament over by April the 5th. What happens in the midst of that three week period is really up for anyone's discussion. Uh, They have to have contingency plans for positive tests, for situations that may need to quarantine pre-bubble. A lot that goes into this, but guys, a combination of Lucas Oil Stadium, which is where the Indianapolis Colts play, where they've had Final Fours before, where they have the current Big Ten football championship game every year, Mackey Arena on the campus of Purdue University, Assembly Hall, In Bloomington, Indiana, Indiana University's campus, Butler, so Hinkle Fieldhouse, a Big East school getting involved, and then IUPUI's venue as well, among others. So, guys, the NCAA tournament is going to take on a new shape and form this year. Seems to me like the best way to go about this. Yeah, I agree. This is more or less the the bubble format that – the NBA and, and NHL adopted last summer uh, and stretching into the fall. And I think it's the safest way to, to keep these kids healthy while they are playing, but you hit the nail on the head. They're, they're trying to cram everything in uh, into a shortened period all in the same area. And it's really going to be an issue if, if someone uh, or if a team is infected with COVID and, you know, say you're in a situation like Villanova right now, what happens to the rest of the tournament? Are you, are you just eliminated? Do you let other teams play and then they rest while the other team catches up 10 days later? I think that's going to be certainly a challenge going forward, but uh, hopefully the, the bubble format, which has worked for professional sports, is uh, adequate in, in preventing anyone from, from catching the virus while they're in this setting. So uh, it's exciting. It's going to be some great basketball venues for the NCAA tournament. And, you know, again, just like we're, we're going through right now, we just hope everything goes uh, along smoothly as the tournament time arrives. Yeah. Front end vetting, I think is a great way to put it there. It's, it's, it's all fun and games and you think the plan works great until somebody catches the virus, both from a health standpoint and from a mitigation standpoint to prevent that spread you would be hard pressed in a three week tournament to find a way to have a team have an outbreak and have any result other than that team forfeiting that game. You hope it doesn't come to that. That's why you front end vet so much and you create that quarantine, you create that bubble, but KMAC it it's to prevent the billion dollar contract and the billion plus dollar industry from poofing into thin air the way the way we saw last March. Yeah, I mean, we saw this coming. Hopefully, we don't have any Lou Williams or Dwayne Haskins uh, situations going on uh, during this bubble. But, um, I I mean, we all saw this coming. It it limits the travel 
uh, they're all in one state. Uh, I'm not going to be traveling as much. Um, so yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see. Hopefully it doesn't happen, but if one team, like Kevin said, d- does catch it or a player catches it, uh, what will happen, uh, in the tournament? Yeah. Tough to find a uh, Dwayne Haskins situation, I think. And, uh, I guess it's getting, it's getting a little bit, a little bit warmer in, in March in Indianapolis, but, uh, I don't know if that's necessarily a hotbed for what you're talking about there, Tom. <laughs> Well, I mean, I think it's, first of all, a great um, move by the NCAA in terms of location. I think when a lot of people think of basketball, the state of Indiana and Indianapolis and places like Hinkle Fieldhouse, Hoosiers come to mind. Um, Lucas Oil Stadium, as you mentioned before, has hosted Final Fours and National Championship Games. Uh, Just something about the road to India. Indy, of course, the entire road will be in Indy this time around. Uh, But something about that just, you know, rings true um, with college basketball fans. Um, so, so that sounds nice. Um, my worry is getting to that point. Um, I think that, you know, look, we've college football has luckily somehow made it through an entire college football season. They are a week away from a national championship game. Um, the NFL is on to the playoffs. You know, there've been hiccups along the way, but they did it. They're there. Um, and it seems like teams that are meant to be there are in the positions to win championships in both instances. Um, the difference, um, and well, the difference is for basketball versus football is that, um, I mean, the, the college football season in the NFL had a buffer, I think a little bit in the beginning of the season coming off summer, September, October. Um, and the virus has really gotten wor- much worse in the last few weeks of their seasons. Um, whereas here we go, college basketball conference play just now heating up. Um, and here we are in a firestorm of, um, you know, just new COVID outbreaks every single day. Um, and it's a game that's played indoors versus a game that's played outdoors um, and s- smaller roster spots. So you, you mentioned, you know, in a three week tournament, what happens if somebody gets sick? Well, you don't have, you know, a bunch of other places down the depth chart to just throw somebody in and quarantine that one individual. Um, so I think it's, I think it's the NCAA doing the best they can do to keep people interested in that billion dollar industry you mentioned. Um, Cause every college basketball fan is going to love the idea of Indianapolis and Indiana hosting a final four. Um, and more importantly, they're, they're into the idea of a final four happening at all. And this might be the only way to do it at the end of the day. That's what it comes down to. And yes, well, you said, what I'm hearing is, I mean, Tom wants it outside. So we should go to Rucker park. Just play all the games at Rucker park. That's, that's all I'm throwing out. <laughs> Uh, where's Rucker Park, Kev? Rucker Park's in New York, man. There you go. You think that's a, a good decision on March 15th? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Just throw everybody in New York. No COVID in New York. Absolutely not. Sounds like a good, as good an idea as, uh, as MetLife Stadium hosting the Super Bowl a couple years ago. There you go. Well, yeah, I, also, I mean, I think, uh, you know, talking about Tom's point a little bit too in terms of how do you get there you take a, a Villanova team you compare it to like Ohio State in football right now they're 6-0 and obviously uh, their reputation has taken them a long way and just the eye test of how good they were has gone a long way but how how's the Villanova team evaluated let's say they only get 15 games in this year and that's that's got to be some kind of a factor maybe they only lose two games but 
you, you got to take into account that some other teams have weathered bigger storms and they've made it through and, and they've had tougher tests and, and Villanova has largely, you know, rested maybe half the year if this continues on this trend. So just another storyline to watch all that, assuming that we do actually play an NCAA tournament. Sure. The positive there being right now they're ranked number three or four in the country, depending upon what poll you look at or what, where, what span of the week we are. But that same situation you're talking about with a nine and four team put up against a bubble team that is 20 and 13, there's, there's the conundrum. And I get it. You're probably talking to some extent about being fresh. And frankly, I think that's colossally overblown in the Ohio state situation, but uh, you get eight, 68 teams in the college basketball NCAA tournament. I think you're going to find your champion out of that. And, and you have a lot more wiggle room with teams that may have had pause for a time. Uh, and I don't think you'll get a second glance if a team has to go on pause like Villanova and then makes a final four Ohio state. Yeah. That's a tougher situation, but they box themselves into the corner and partially because football, you're not going to have a 68 team tournament You're playing once per week. And, and partially because they have abstained from expanding the playoff for so many years. Uh, this would have looked different in the college football playoff. If it was eight or 12 teams, I can guarantee you that. Mm-hmm. And that is the question, you know, how will this NCAA tournament look? I think by now it's a, a given, I, I don't you know, get ahead of ourselves, but that there will be some sort of tournament, right? The NCAA seems hell-bent on there being a tournament, right? They, don't, they can't afford to lose out on all of the um, cash and advertising revenue um, that they did last year. Um, there will be something. What will it look like, though? You know, we've talked about a three-week tournament. What about the mid-major tournaments that have to go on for four or five days for teams to get in the tournament? What's going to happen to automatic bids this year? What is? We already have a conference that doesn't even have a season in the Ivy League. Um, so, you know, you're talking about the bubble, you know, maybe mid-major bubble teams versus um, underperforming uh, major conference teams with fewer games. The, the question is also how do mid-majors even get in? Or what do mid-major tournaments look like? Yeah, we're talking about two different bubbles, too. I want to make sure we don't get confused. We should come up with another term here while we're sitting here doing this podcast. Uh, either a different term for the bubble, the teams that are on the fringes of the NCAA tournament, or a different uh, term for bubble, meaning contained group of people for not catching a disease purpose. What do you think? K-Mac, this is your specialty. <laughs> yeah, I got nothing on, uh, on top of my head, man. Sorry about that. <laughs> See, I, I think I think it's bad to be on the bubble. It's good to be in the bubble. There so you go. You want to be on the bubble or off the bubble, you want to be in the bubble. Yeah, I like that. Okay. But the, some of the on the bubble folks get in, in the tournament, in the bubble. I like it. All right. That's going to be confusing for the next couple of months, but we'll Just see. Just you. Just you, Bob. <laughs> Talking myself into a, a, a twist here. But with that said – we're going to go to the second half of our opening tip here. Uh, rejump, if you will. We talked about these venues that are going to be hosting the NCAA tournament, and they are some classic venues. Mackey Arena, Assembly Hall, of course, Hinkle Fieldhouse, 
giving the Big East some love here on the Villanova Basketball Report. Got us thinking. And we asked the question on Twitter, and we got some good feedback. What are the best college basketball venues in the country? And universally, well, not universally, but nearly universally, there was some mention of the Palestra. Got four or five Palestra mentions. Uh, Cameron Indoor was was mentioned um, by a, by a, a learned traveler and a big fan of ours. Uh, we got we got a shout out for Wash U in St. Louis, asking me to count the banners. Check that out on Twitter. But I ask my experts now, what are the best college basketball venues in the country? And this can be the Allen Field houses of the world, or this can be some smaller venues that might be a little bit off the beaten path. What do you say, Kevin Long? Obviously, we're from Philadelphia. We're, we're Villanova fans, and, and you hit on it. You got to start with the Palestra. I, uh, I'm looking forward to going down a, a different path in future weeks as we do this segment. But first and foremost, got to hit the Palestra, the Cathedral of College Basketball. Uh, opened in 1927, home of the Penn Quakers, uh, just an excellent basketball arena, host to many PCL finals, which is uh, you know near and dear to us LaSalle alums, uh, LaSalle College High School alums, that is. So had to first shout out the Palestra, just a, a great college basketball venue. Uh, if you haven't had a chance to witness a game there, try in uh, late 2021 or 22, it'll be great. Uh, the ultimate college basketball venue. In I'm going to stop. Yeah, no I'm going to stop you there too, and and give a little bit more background on the Palestra. So they have hosted NCAA tournaments in 17 different years. Now, based upon the size of the tournament, a lot of these came in the 70s and before, all the way back to the 50s, 40s. Uh, because of the size of the tournament, they haven't hosted the hosted the most number of total games. However, in terms of years hosted and from a non-play-in perspective that is still by one year the highest number of years the most number of ncaa tournament regions that have come through one venue any guys care to guess what venue is second carrier dome incorrect but a good guess that has hosted many I thought the trivia was later. Come on, Bob. <laughs> and you're the trivia guy. I mean, what comes to mind, uh, the garden. Garden associated a lot? No. And this right. venue is still active. This venue is still active. It's, act- it's kind of a trick question because I was talking about non-play-ins. That is still the University of Dayton that has hosted 16 non-play-in years. So – a couple in the 80s, and then every play-in game, which has now led to the first four from 2001 onward. Even without that, Dayton has hosted 16 years' worth of NCAA tournament games. Keep going there, Kevin Long. Sorry about that. Um, Yeah, last point, really, just uh, when it was built in 1927, it was the biggest structure originally hosted 10,000 fans, now somewhere just north of 8,000. Not exactly sure how that happened. Maybe we've just all gotten bigger or maybe just different requirements. But it seats less people now than it did back then, but was the largest uh, indoor arena in 1927 in the country. My elbows and lungs are happy with that, by the way. 
It can get a little tight in there. K-Mac. It, it sure does. Oh, you want me to go? I'd love you to go. <laughs> I mean, God damn. That would be great. <laughs> um, I mean, I know Bob will not like this answer, but uh, the Vanderbilt Memorial Gym. Uh, huge fan uh, that the benches are underneath the baskets uh, rather than on the sidelines. Um, I, just, I just love watching those games. And uh, uh, yeah, it's one of my favorites. That all you got? All right. On to Tom. That's all I got for you. Um, you, you think of, you know, places like Cameron, Allen, um, even the Carrier Dome, just because it's different. Um, and, you know, the only or the first on campus maybe dome um you think of henkel of course but you know i personally have not been to any of those arenas so i'm not going to select any of those arenas um for me i mean it's absolutely the palestra hands down but kevin long has already spoken eloquently about the palestra um where where back when i went to um many uh triple headers for the city six when they used to do that um back in the nineties and early thousands. That was a good time, um, with my dad and godfather. Um, but I would say, you know, I, I Clinton near and dear to my heart also through family friends is the Leah Cora center. I think it's just a cool on campus venue. Um, it's kind of like a mini professional arena. Um, but I will officially select Jake Nevin Fieldhouse. Um, and I was, it was my pleasure to go to a bunch of women's games, during the season when the new pavilion was being renovated um, to see Nova women's games in the Jake Nevin Fieldhouse. And when that place is a sizable crowd, I unfortunately was not at the Penn game, uh, the men's game against Penn. But when that place has a sizable crowd, it is a loud and really fun atmosphere. There's just something about an old gym like the Palestra. Everybody's sitting right on top of the court. There's not a bad seat in the house. Um, and the Villanova women, I think, made it a great place to play. Um, and it was, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. They had a big upset against Duke women's team that year. Um, so I'm going to go with Jake Nevin. All right. Jake Nevin Fieldhouse. That is a good spot to watch a game. I totally agree. All right. <clears throat> I'm going to try to clear and cross the country here since you guys only gave me one. But you put a lot into those ones. So I appreciate that delineation. I don't know that I could delineate just one. So bear with me here, but let's take a trip out West because I think there's a lot of mountain West and, and, and other Western teams where there are some phenomenal venues, some of which, you know, some, the, the vast majority of which we hope to get to and see games at these great places, but let's go to the state of Utah. Utah does not get enough love folks. Utah state has a phenomenal venue, steep venue, old school seats, little hard plastic seats, one level bowl going across the entire venue and an old school old school crow's nest type press area broadcast booth at the top brilliant half of those seats in that building go directly to the students and some of the legendary chants and environments are driven by the fact that Utah State, the fan base there is as good as any. The other one I want to talk about is, used to be a Mountain West team, now is a Pac-12 team. The Utah Utes played Huntsman Arena. That's similar. It's going to be a one-level one bowl. This one's a bowl going all the way around. You're looking down on it, kind of Coliseum style. Uh, that's another tremendous venue. Gets super loud. And the other two that I want to talk about out West, San Diego State and New Mexico. New Mexico is known as the Pit. 
San Diego State's was built on the old Aztec Bowl. Very similar, just very high walled type, one level, looking down on like a pit or a coliseum type of feel. And those are some of the best low-key college basketball venues in the country. So those are the ones that we're talking about out West. You talked about the Carrier Dome. There are some great large venues. I've been to the Carrier Dome, very loud. Rupp Arena, Dean Dome. You know, I'm going to leave those off this list, but of the three of them, have to give a nod to the Carrier Dome for how unique it is. And that's as loud as a venue as I've ever been to. Here's one I don't really, it doesn't get me going. The Breslin Center. The Breslin Center at Michigan State. All you hear about, and I've not been there, so I'm just saying my perception, and I am more than happy to be wrong on this one. But the Breslin Center, to me, has this reputation as being one of the hardest places to play in the country. My response there is, yeah, no crap. They're really good every year. Tom Izzo is a great coach. And, and they're a premier Big Ten program. But there's nothing when I see a game on television or hear that crowd that really jumps out to me. Um, so the Breslin Center, uh, Pauley Pavilion, the Joyce Center, those are a couple that you know, are thought of as these really great classic venues. Pauley Pavilion, not very loud. The Joyce Center doesn't really have that atmosphere. Pauley Pavilion being at UCLA and, and Notre Dame, the Joyce Center. Well, I, I think that sometimes if a team's so good that it, the perception that it's a great venue uh, comes out because the team wins there so much. Yeah. So, the I mean, Joy that, Center, that, Notre Dame had like a 45-game win streak there at one point. But I don't think anybody's going to say, I fear going into the Joy Center. I don't fear it. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> well, and it was sort of that way with Villanova for a long time. I mean, still, the Pavilion is a really difficult thing to play, but also – we played all of our most difficult home games at the Wells Fargo Center. All of our marquee matchups were in the stadium where we could get more fans and generate more money. And it became ah, this he's legacy. Found, he's hit the caveat, hasn't he? Yes. Uh, right, exactly. So now all of a sudden we have a – I don't even know how long it was. It was probably upwards of five-year winning streak at the Pavilion at one point. And, uh, you know, we're playing the likes of DePaul and, and teams like that at the Pavilion. And – you would expect to win from, from a team of Villanova stature. Don't look down at the ball. Wilson Chandler doesn't like that. <laughs> <Come on. laughs> ah, is Wilson Chandler an answer to a, uh, a trivia question here tonight? We shall see. We shall see. Uh, two more I have to hit that can't be on the list, and I can't believe it didn't come up, but the Bryce Jordan Center at Penn State <laughs> and Capital One Arena. Great venue for Thon. I'll tell you that much. There you go. It's the one time it's filled. And then Capital One Arena in D.C., Georgetown. Bring him back to McDonough. Great to see him playing there this year. An homage to the old Ewing days and, and the teams he used to play there. But, uh, yeah, that, that's another one. Now, one more before we go, because this sparked a huge Twitter outrage. Seth Davis, Doug Gottlieb. What do we think about the rack, gentlemen? Rutgers Athletic Center. I have been to the rack one time, and it was not to see uh, yeah, You promised you'd never go back. It was not. Uh, yeah. well, I, I tell you what, it's, it's not, um, not going to be on my list ever anytime soon. 
Um, but it, it was actually to see the Big East Women's Tournament um, way back when my dad and I made the trip up just for the day. Um, back when the Villanova Women had a really good team. Um, it was the year they actually upset UConn at the Big East Championship when UConn was on a big winning streak. Um, but that was the only time I've ever been to the rack. Uh, it was fun, but it wasn't because of the rack. It was because of the Big East Tournament. That's all I have to say about the rack. The rack gets loud. The rack gets really loud. Uh, their concessions, restrooms, parking situation, other amenities, a lot to be desired. They can pump a lot of money into that place. Even the seats themselves, not, you know, not particularly comfortable, not great, easy access, but the place gets loud. And when Rutgers is good, it's a tough place to play. Like right now, by the way. It's at least top five in the state of New Jersey <laughs> of all division one schools. I'll give them that. No love for the rack. Not on the Villanova basketball report. You leave, I mean, you spurn the Big East, you're gone. I mean, it, it sounds like the student like athletic center. I mean, you can't just call it the Rutgers Athletic Complex or whatever. Well, it's they called. don't. They call it the Rack. Yeah, but I mean, that's the name of it. So, I mean, think of a better name. Call it something. Name it after somebody. Oh, wait, nobody's gone to Rutgers. Never mind. <laughs> All right, before we get out of here, I did forget one on the West Coast, and that is the Kennel. Gonzaga. They've put a lot of money into that place over the last how many ever years because they've been so good. And that is an elite, elite program, of course, best team in college basketball right now. But also the venue is phenomenal. And of course, we say all this in the lens of we're excited for next year when we get fans back in the stands and a chance to uh, enjoy the environment of college basketball in its true form, which is with sold out stadiums and each of these buildings having a ton of character. So I appreciate you guys playing along with us here. And if you guys are just watching the show and you missed our initial tweet, tweet at us. It's at Bob Long sports, best college basketball venues. What did we forget? It's an inevitable that we forgot some things because there are so many unique places to watch a game of basketball. But with that, we're now going to turn our attention to our first V's and O's segment of the year. We go to the whiteboard and break down the Villanova offense. Welcome everyone, Villanova and college basketball fans alike. This is the Villanova basketball report and our particular segment here is called V's and O's. We go to the whiteboard and we break down one aspect of Villanova basketball. Today, we're going to highlight how Villanova embracing positionless basketball changes the way we look at offense in general. So Jeremiah Robinson Earl, big guy, strong, really solid player, all-American type of guy, and a guy who most likely will leave for the NBA next year. Why? Well, he's fundamentally sound. He's getting bigger and stronger, and he can do so many things out of that big man spot. He can be a general for the offense of this Villanova team, and he does it with his face-up game. We're going to talk about that. Justin Moore, Colin Gillespie, two guards and the folks that really run the offense here from a point guard position. We're going to talk about how inside of this three-point perimeter, they are more of the back down. And when we think about how these offenses work across college basketball, we're going to flip the script with this Villanova team. So Jeremiah Robinson loves to catch the ball here in the middle of the perimeter area, just inside the three-point line, guarded here by the opposing defense. He's going to get this basketball, whether he's here 
or here on the end, also a very, very good baseline mid-range shooter, and he's going to face up. So facing the basket here makes Jeremiah Robinson Earl's uh, ability to run the offense a bit more cogent. He is a really good rise and fire guy right here. So catch, turn, survey, and shoot. Really good at that. He also has an uncanny ability with a little bit of a head fake because he's such a good shooter to beat this defender off the dribble and to get to the basket. The other thing he's getting a lot better at is passing. And so Jeremiah Robinson Earl developing that full skill set. But really, again, he's most comfortable facing the basket, which when you think about it in the history of college basketball and basketball in general, normally these big guys, and we're seeing it a little bit less in college hoops these days, but more back-to-the-basket guys and running the offense, passing out of that post game. But not Jeremiah Robinson Earl. He kind of goes against the grain and does it from a face-up perspective. Now let's talk about Justin Moore and Colin Gillespie. We're going to take you down to this end of the court here. Yes, of course, these guys are going to be on the perimeter. They're both tremendous three-point shooters. They can get off the bounce to the hoop. But what you're going to see with this Villanova team is I'm going to put most of the guys on this side of the floor here. And let's say it's Colin Gillespie on this side of the floor. He's going to maybe fake a handoff here. So now you have a fit, the fourth guy here. And now Colin Gillespie has this whole area of the floor to himself. He's going to nestle himself in here and go back to the basket. And so this defender, often a guard, not used to playing that type of defensive position. And it's really interesting because we're talking about the guards that are backing down and the big man that is facing up. But that's, in fact, what's going on with this offense. Gillespie, so good at driving into the basket with his back to the basket if needed. Good finisher inside. The rest of the offense clearing out that space. Or drawing a second defender and now having the option to skip pass, top of the key. You can have another, another Villanova offensive player roll into this area and force these defenders to make decisions. And you're seeing Justin Moore do that as well. He has a bigger, wider frame than Colin Gillespie and really has a higher upside for this type of offensive output and production. Uh, but Gillespie is like a traditional Villanova guard. We've seen Jalen Brunson do this. Ryan Archidiacono do it. Jalen Brunson is the best that I've seen at going back to the basket and leveraging the fact that his defender is going to be in an uncomfortable situation because the defender is not used to guarding a back-to-the-basket uh, guard. But that's what Jalen did so well, and certainly Jay Wright is making this a focus, not only in the teaching of the game, but in the recruiting side as well. More a big, strong guy who's going to be able to do this to the extent of his time remaining on the main line at Villanova. JRE, we saw with Omari Spellman just a few years ago, kind of spurning the Daniel Ochefu type back-to-the-basket traditional big, and Spellman, though he only had one year playing for this Villanova team, also showed the ability to spot up, hit the distance shot, or allow that to pass with his chest facing the basket. And so that's the key to this Villanova team, something to look out for as they return to play in just a few weeks here. It's going to be the guards that run the offense with their back to the basket. This all talking about inside the three-point line. And it's the bigs, Jeremiah Robinson Earl, even Jermaine Samuels, who's a good slasher to the basket, that are going to be more effective facing the basket. Some of that inside-out, counterintuitive basketball that's allowed Villanova to be so successful this year. And that is 
V's and O's for this week. We hope that you'll join us on the Villanova Basketball Report. Find us on Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube for our video content. And then we are also on iTunes and SoundCloud if you prefer the audio quality. Thanks for being with us, folks. All right, now we're going to take it to Kevin Long, who's going to take us into our Cat in the Wild. Thanks, Bob. And uh, first, I'm going to start with a little runner-up here. I'd be remiss if I didn't mention his name. uh, I I mentioned him earlier in a previous show, but I wanted to give a quick shout-out to Sadiq Bey. Had a great night the other night against the Celtics, 17 points, seven rebounds, playing 30 minutes, uh, really starting to see some time with the Pistons, doing well. Uh, Great to see him getting his NBA legs out there. Uh, But our cat in the wild tonight is Mikhail Bridges. There's a guy who, one of the most highly touted guys coming out of Villanova in a couple of years, uh, had a little bit of a slow start to his career, was getting, you know, about 28 minutes a game in his first two years, averaging about eight or nine points. But this year has come out stronger. No Kelly Oubre on the Phoenix Suns anymore. That small forward position is his. He's been playing 34 minutes a game, averaging 14 points, six rebounds, one assist, uh, and 1.4 blocks, really having a strong start to the season and, and exciting to see him doing well. This is the Mikhail Bridges we knew. This was the potential we thought that he had in the NBA. And it's not often that I get excited about other teams other than our Philadelphia 76ers, but this Phoenix Suns team looks like they're for real. They're five and two right now. They got a great, great starting lineup. Chris Paul, Devin Booker, Jay Crowder, and DeAndre Ayton, uh, as well as our guy Dario Saric for some depth. So look for these Suns to continue to do well this season. And Mikhail looks like he's finally establishing himself as a regular starter in the NBA. So that is our cat in the wild for this week, Mikhail Bridges. Okay, Matt, care to opine on where you thought, well, you thought Mikel was going to stay with the 76ers, but what role you thought he would have in the NBA and where you see him now? That was a tough, uh, tough draft day, uh, getting drafted 10th overall by his hometown team and then being traded uh, the same day uh, to the Suns. And it it was really hard seeing him go to that team because, I mean, they had so many wing players when he got there. Like Kevin said, he he wasn't getting as much time as we were hoping for, for development for him. Uh, now that players like TJ Warren, Josh Jackson, and Kelly Oubre, like Kevin mentioned, are gone, he's finally getting that time. And um, he's a great piece next to Devin Booker and Chris Paul and DeAndre Ayton. I mean, that's a pretty solid starting lineup. I expect him to make the playoffs this year. Yeah, what a fun team to watch out in the desert. You're not lying, Kevin Long. Um, I mean, and just to think, I mean, it's just so cool, you know, if you pull up the stat sheet and just to see Mikel Bridges there um, on a what will be a playoff NBA basketball team. He's the second leading scorer above names like Chris Paul, DeAndre Ayton. Um, he is their lockdown defender. We see him lock down the likes of Luka Doncic um, and others, and he seems to be – he's going to be that guy moving forward, um, that they're going to put him on the other team's best player. Um, I mean, he's playing 34 minutes a game. That's incredible. Um, so super excited um, for Mikhail. Wish he was a Philadelphia 76er, but um, I – hey – he makes me want to watch the Phoenix Suns, and I haven't said that in a long time. <laughs> Since the Steve Nash days. 
That's great work there, Kevin. That's this week's Cat in the Wild, highlighting one former Villanova Wildcat, either on the floor at the next level, coaching, or whatever it might be. We're highlighting once a Wildcat, always a Wildcat, those that have gone on to do great things. Thank you very much, Kevin, for your continued efforts on that segment. And we'll keep it rolling here as we head to Villanova Trivia, headed up by Kevin McClernand. Yeah, we got three questions for you guys today. So the third one is uh, pretty long, so be prepared. Uh, the first one is uh, JRE was the 16th ranked player uh, in his recruiting class. Uh, that's according to 247 Sports. Who is the only – who's the <laughs> highest uh, – what did I say? <laughs> 247. What did I say? You did say 247. It might be known as 24-7 Sports. Uh, I have no clue. I've never looked at it before. Fine. He's our NBA guy, folks. (laughs) He's not a recruiting guy. He's an NBA guy. Yeah. I usually look at the ESPN recruiting, but I couldn't figure it out back to 99. Uh, But since 1999, uh, who is the only player that is ranked higher uh, as a Villanova recruit? All right. We'll jot it down and give me an answer. I'm ready. Yeah, I, I was pretty uh, surprised by this. I, I had a guess, and let's just say it was wrong. <laughs> All right, I think I'm ready. <laughs> yeah, I okay. think I'm ready, too. All right, let's see your answers. We got – and Bob is correct. Muftal Yaru was the 11th-ranked <laughs> recruit. That's a great question there, guys. Not just because I got it right. Winterly was a good guess. My my guess was Fisher, but yeah, <laughs> Frazier was good too. He was a McDonald's. Yeah. All, both you guys guessed Frazier, I think McDonald's All American. I think well, I think Tom guessed Frazier. Kevin, you guessed um, Quinterly. Quinterly. Right? Oh, that yeah. Yeah, that's a good guess too. Okay, uh, second question: When was the last season that Villanova did not make the NCAA tournament? Not counting twenty twenty. <laughs> <laughs> 2020 never happened, so not counting it as a miss. Um, so when was the last time Villanova did not qualify for the NCAA tournament? Had have had some good years lately, but did I think miss. I think I'm ready. I think so too. Oh, I didn't write this big enough, but yeah, I got it. <laughs> Just I'm 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 trying to remember like what what year it started. And what year it ended, you know, from what uh, November to what March? Yeah. You know, X mm-hmm. or X plus no, Y. I, I know this answer for a very good reason. But, All right. Uh, let's rock okay. and roll. All right. Let's see the answers. 2012 is correct. Yeah. Boom. I know that because that was my freshman year at Villanova. <laughs> there you go. It was a sad year. <laughs> yeah. Well, there you go. Personal, personal gives it gives it context for you there, Tom. Uh, all right. And the final question, a little bit longer. Uh, there are nine answers to this question. Um, so there are nine players in the NBA that are from Villanova. So you, can you name the player and the team that they are on? Oh, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> Kevin, Kevin gave you two already, basically, for the Cats in the Wild. So. How long is the commercial break going to be uh, while we're answering these questions? I'll, I'll keep the fans entertained, you know. <laughs> okay. Uh, alphabetical order. 
Ryan Archidiakono is on the Chicago Bulls. Sadiq Bay, as Kevin mentioned, on the Detroit Pistons. Mikhail Bridges, as Kevin mentioned again, on the Phoenix Suns. Jalen Brunson is on the Dallas Mavericks. Dante DiVincenzo is on the Milwaukee Bucks. Josh Hart on the Pelicans. Kyle Lowry on the Toronto Raptors. Pascal is on the Warriors. And the trickiest one of all, Spellman is on the New York Knicks. Mm. So there are your nine NBA Villanova basketball players. Nine guys, eight teams. How about that? I did not get, like you said, Omari. Yep, Spellman was the tricky one. Yeah, I did not realize that until a couple hours ago when I was researching my cat in the wild, and I was looking at Omari Spellman and thinking, when did he go to the Knicks? But only knew that because I was doing my research. But I bet K-Mac's going to ask about it. I knew it. <laughs> Just knew it. Yeah, I missed Omari. I, I, but now that you're mentioning that he went to the left uh, Golden State and went to the Knicks, I'm now remembering that, yeah. Yep, so Kevin, you got them all? I did, yeah. Okay, so Kevin catches up uh, from the last week, and uh, we're all square on the trivia for the year. That's awesome. Good work, boys. Good work. And with that said, we're going to close our show with one of our favorite segments, the shoot-around. Let's start with Tom. Yeah, thanks, Bob. Um, so to, tonight I am going to shout out um, a colleague of mine and a good friend of mine at Cristo Rey Philadelphia High School, and that is um, head boys basketball coach Guy Moore. Um, he's been in the Philadelphia Catholic League a long time, though Cristo Rey is not a Catholic League school. just want to shout him out. Um, he's also assistant athletic director at our school. Um, for everything he's been doing to try to keep his team positive, he does a weekly Zoom call with his kids trying to keep all the kids positive. Um, also shout out to our new athletic director, Kyle Sample, um, who has Villanova um, connections. He was high school teammates with um, Kyle Lowry and Shane Clark at uh, Cardinal Doherty. Um, but just shout out to uh, Coach Moore and Kyle Sample um, and all of the you know high school administrators um, and coaches across the country who can't have winter sports right now and are just trying to do what they can um, to keep that community together. Um, and keep the kids holding their head heads high through these difficult times. All right, let's go to Kevin Long. Uh, my shoot around for today is the Lehigh Mountain Hawks. So I totally knew about this before K-Mac texted me, but uh, the Lehigh Mountain Hawks came up with a game-winning three-pointer at the buzzer in overtime to overtake our rival, Lafayette. Uh, 90 to 89 game. It was a great win for the Lehigh Mountain Hawks. Uh, due to the strange nature of the scheduling in the Patriot League this year with the pandemic going on, they play uh, games in back-to-back days on, on weekends against the same team. So came right back on Sunday, unfortunately lost to Lafayette, so split that series. But an incredible game on Saturday with a uh, buzzer beater win. So Lehigh Mountain Hawks with a, a special win over the weekend. Okay, Mac. It's almost like a baseball schedule playing back-to-back on the weekends, right, Kev? Um, but I'm going to shout out, uh, sadly, to Justin Fields uh, going college football. Uh, I think he did a great job for Ohio State winning that semifinal, get hurt in the ribs, 
uh, during the game and also, I mean, getting his team to the finals and then uh, really helping his draft stock. I know a bunch of people were talking about uh, him versus Wilson as the second quarterback. Uh, and I, I think he solidified himself uh, as, a, as a number two quarterback in the draft and getting Ohio State to the national championship. Justin Fields, no doubt about it. Tremendous quarterback. And I think next Monday is going to be an unbelievably good college football game. All right, my shout-out also comes from the world of college football. <sighs> Call me sadistic, but knowing a little bit about television broadcasts, of course, not an expert. And when things uh, go wrong and networks do well to adjust in the moment, sometimes those moments can be the funniest to me. And today, it is, no, not your grandfather trying to figure out a Zoom call. But instead, Nick Saban, halftime interview, Alabama against Notre Dame. And it goes something like this. What? What? I can't hear you. I, I can't hear you. What? What? Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant stuff. Go check it out on, on Twitter if you have not seen it. But Nick Saban trying to figure out whether he needs to keep the headset on, take it off, what the question is that they're asking. It's, it's just like every workplace environment when, when some of the older folks are trying to figure out Zoom. And sometimes me, by the way. So not just older generations. Cannot wait to see the memes that come out from that in the years to come. That that if that's not still on the internet by 2030, I'd be surprised. I think that's going to be all over the place sooner rather than later. So it got me thinking as well. What are some of the other great broadcast moments, just like that, awkward broadcast moments? And I am going to steal a line from one of our Nittany Lions Sports Report shameless plugs to our. Penn State football show that we do during the fall. Check that out as well. But uh, what is Brittany doing with her life might just be the greatest television broadcast moment of all time. Mike Patrick, God love him. Great broadcaster for many years. It's the last, it's well, what turned out to be the last, but the overtime period of Georgia against Alabama. And either team was particularly good back in 2007, or at least not on, you know, winning a national championship level in, Georgia comes out there and they need to score a touchdown to win. And first down, Mike Patrick, this is after Britney Spears had shaved her head and was going through a lot of things, unfortunately, in her career. Todd Blackledge alongside Mike Patrick says, I have a very important question. Todd Blackledge, go ahead. What is Britney doing with her life? What? Britney. Britney who? Spears. <laughs> Why do we even care at this point? Is she here? Well, I don't think so. Do you think she likes college football? <laughs> I would imagine. And then Georgia throws a touchdown pass on the very next snap. Game over. Never addressed again. Until this year. Until Florida plays LSU on Saturday night football. And Todd Blackledge is talking about a recruit from, I believe it was Kentwood, Louisiana. And he says, my old broadcast partner, Mike Patrick would be thrilled to know that Kentwood, Louisiana is the hometown of Britney Spears. I wonder what she's up to these days. Just some great college football history there for you. Very important stuff. The one that pops into my head is, uh, I think it was Brent Musburger uh, during the Alabama game where he, he talked about AJ McCarron's girlfriend and the stands. And I, I forget exactly his exact words, but he was talking about how beautiful she was. <laughs> it got pretty awkward. <laughs> 
very awkward. I believe the exact words were, wow, she is a good looking girl, something to the extent of that. And boys, I'll tell you what, young guys, if you're, you, you should go into the backyard and throw the ball around with pop. You want to play quarterback in this league. Uh, one more for you, including Brent, just because you brought it up. Do you remember when they interviewed Eminem? Eminem was in the booth to talk about the music video to Berserk, a song that he had made and was popular for a while. I want to say it was even a remake of something, but they tailored it to college football, this particular version, and they used it for Saturday Night Football's intro. And he comes on the air and he... Well, he doesn't appear to either know where he is or at very minimum and at the absolute best um, was very uncomfortable in that situation. And that interview, if you have a chance to go back and watch Brent Musburger, Eminem, Saturday Night Football, you won't be disappointed. What, what could go wrong with that combination? I can't even <laughs> imagine. Kirk Herbstreit's trying to like nudge him like, are you alive, man? He's <laughs> laughing. <laughs> it's worth your time. An extended shoot around there, but I thought it was worthwhile. Absolutely. Boys, thanks for the time. This is the Villanova Basketball Report. If it's your first time here, please just give us a shot. We'd love to, uh, we'd love to come to you, whether it's on your mobile device, on video, on your podcast feed. We'd love to talk Villanova basketball with you every week. And as you can see, we have some fun along the way. Lots of ways to get in touch with us on Twitter at Bob Long Sports, Facebook. We have a YouTube. You can subscribe to our show there as well as to our iTunes feed and SoundCloud. And he's Kevin Long, K-Mac, Tom Trainer, the three guys that run the show here. And uh, I'm Bob Long. Enjoying my time with all of you. And we'll see you guys, well, hopefully next week. Villanova on pause. And we'll see everybody when they have the opportunity to hit that play button.